When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everybody, welcome to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast. My name is Joe Thomas, I'm the Echoes Everton FC correspondent. Alongside me we've got my colleagues fresh from a week spent at the Open last week. We've got Matt Jones and we've got Connor O'Neill as well. Plenty to talk about today. As ever, we've got the Dan Juma signing, we've got the performance at Wigan the other day. A little bit about El Bilal Torori and what's going on there. But first, I'm going to start off with something that isn't quite so time-sensitive, perhaps influenced by the return of Jared Branthwaite to the squad after his exploits with England. He returned to Finch Farm on Monday, and off the back of that, the club did an interview with him. It seemed very much like he's spoken to Sean Dyche, and he wants to try and fight his way into the Everton first team during this pre-season. I put something on Twitter, and I, my thought process at the moment is, I think Dyche is very much going with James Tarkovsky, Michael Keane, two centre-backs and if I'm perfectly honest I'm not convinced that he sees other centre-backs or bringing other centre-backs into the club as a priority now I kind of put this out on Twitter as a not my own personal belief as to where Everton should be but I think that's going to be the tactic and my notifications went absolutely bonkers with the amount of people saying Michael Keane cannot be anywhere near that starting lineup or that first choice maybe a little bit harsh we'll come on to it now Matt there are so many different elements of this Everton side that need improving. And I think we all know, we all understand that up, up front is, even with the sign of Dan Juma, it's a number one priority. Where do you think strengthening at centre-back fits in terms of how important it is? And where do you sit on the Keane, Tarkovsky, Brandt freight? Is there, is, there, is there a partnership that can work at the start of the season? Or is there a gamble if Everton don't bring anybody in? Well, I didn't see your tweet, but I probably would have joined the pile on, I think, if it saw that, um, based on based on some of Michael Keane's performances last season. Um, I, I, I think it's secondary priority, really, the centre-back position, because, listen, we, we all know, and we're going to come on to talk about Dan Juma and, and Torre a little bit later on, I think it's clear that Everton needed to get two lads through the door to, to help um, give versatility and productivity in attack, and it looks like they, well, they've got one already. They're working on getting another one. It's doubtful whether they will, but they seem to be the two priorities. But the centre-back position is, is definitely the next one for me because I think if you you think back to turn and point in Everton's season or the, 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 you know, when Sean Dyche came in, when it really started to turn and, and the game in which it all hinged on for me really was that Brighton one, wasn't it? And the decision that day sort of came out the blue to, to play Yerry Mina. I think Michael Keane had played at Leicester away, was it, a few days before? And had a pretty torrid game against a, you know, a very aging, past his best, Jamie Vardy. And I think Sean Dyche pretty much doubled down on, on Michael Keane in the build-up to that to that Brighton game and said, you know, I believe in him. I've got I've got faith in him. And then as managers tend to do, they uh, they, they went the total love away and, and dropped him from the team. But but Mina coming back in that day, he was excellent. And listen, Everton did go on a great winning run from that point between um, the Amex and the end of the season. There were low points and there were poor defensive performances, but. I think it's undeniable that Everton were miles better with, with Yerry Mina in the team. I think the stats showed that they were miles better in the team with Conor Cody when compared to Michael Keane as well. And listen, it's, it's harsh to look at Keane and sort of sort of dig him out, but one of the moments that sort of etched in my mind's eye from last season is 
is Alex Izak walking past him was it two or three times in the, in the same run in that game against Newcastle and it's a massive problem for me because I think if if Keane and Tarkovsky have played from that Leicester game until the end of the season do I think Everton stay up? Probably not um, Connor Cody was, was tasked with coming on that last day of the season when Everton needed leadership a bit of composure in the team at the you know in what was a frenetic wild day and I think he did pretty well um, would Michael Keane have done as well in similar circumstances again? I don't think he would so it's a massive issue for me and I know we've all got high hopes for, for Jared Branthwaite and by all accounts he's got away and done well on loan but for me I look at him and think he'd be an ideal third choice you know you want him to maybe play between 15 and, and 20 games you want to nurse him into the team you want to give him opportunities a little bit more sporadically and um, to throw him in in week one and say you're our starting centre back I think maybe he's still a little bit too much for him albeit I think he's a good prospect so I think after Everton have, have got, hopefully, a, a really good striker boxed off in the next few weeks, I think they need to turn to, to looking at getting a, a real high-quality centre-back in who can partner James Tarkovsky. Connor, is centre-back secondary priority to you? Is it striker, then centre-back, or are you looking elsewhere? It's definitely a centre-forwards before anything else. Because um, we were at Wigan on Saturday and seeing why, why they desperately need a centre-forward. Um, that's always been the, prior- that's been the priority for over 12 months now hasn't it really for being honest the terms of centre back I think it's it's an interesting one isn't it because I get the feeling that and I said this a few weeks ago on a pod we were talking about Virginia and Pickford in that areas where Everton are going to gamble this summer and again I think this could be an area where Sean Dyche might gamble and he might just go with my Hakeem Tarkovsky Godfrey and Jared Brownfoyce and you know rotate maybe who's, who's doing well and who's not doing well and not bring anyone because I think if they were going to bring anyone in they probably would have went for Conor Cozy yeah. Because for what they were going to pay for get Conor Cozy in, for the experience and what he brings to the dressing room, it's probably unrivaled. And you, you know, he ends up going to Leicester for what could be eight point five, mm. which is four million more than what Everton would have paid for him. It feels like Conor Cody was. It feels like Sean Dyche is a pragmatic, sensible, safe manager. Mm. And if he felt that centre back was a key area that would need addressing, obviously knowing that Yeremina would go, and probably if we look at it, I think. Although Mason Holgate's been playing with the under twenty, what were effectively the under twenty ones, because he's coming back from injury, you know, the club are willing mm. to listen to offers from Mason Holgate. Ben Godfrey, I don't think he sees as a centre back, and I think we all agree that probably for all the promise of Ben Godfrey, you know, he's had a lot of injuries, had COVID as well, and, and they seem to have had a lasting impact on a, a little bit of his physicality, which is a huge part mm. of his game. So when you, you kind of you look at all that, you'd think. Four and a half million, Connor Cody trusted him enough to bring him in for the Bournemouth game, final game of the season. Probably would have, if he saw that as an area that desperately needed addressing, you think probably would have just snapped he'd, him he'd, up, got yeah. that first piece of business done. Probably one of the few pieces of business Everton could probably afford, yeah. you know, on the first of you know July or whatever it is, and then move on to everyone else. Is that what you're thinking, Connor? Right. Yeah, and I think as well, Connor Cody wants to stay at Everton. You know, he wanted to stay at Everton and. Also, as well, you know, we talk about Cody coming in the last game of the season. He also come on against Man City on the the final penultimate home game of the season when Everton were 3-0 down. And Everton put, went three at the back, well, five at the back, not to concede any more goals, if we're being honest, because the goal difference was then getting a little bit a little bit edgy. So he was trusted to come in there. But I do think there's something where he might, Sean Dyche might think, if he can get Michael Keane back fit this summer and get him fit and firing. Because obviously that was the big thing, wasn't it, last summer was... When Michael Keane come in, he was quick to say that you know he wasn't really 100% fit. He'd been on the sidelines for so long. Obviously, January he looked to leave, so he was kind of thrown into the deep end and was a little bit ring rusty and, and probably show. But 
I don't know whether there's something that makes you think that Sean Dice thinks if he can get Michael Keane back fits past perhaps the levels he was at Burnley when obviously Keane you know, done so well and let's face it produced the performances that made Everton pay the money for him then Sean Dice thinks he can't go far wrong with Tarkovsky and, and Michael Keane with Jared Brownfleet as, as the third choice but if it was down to me I would be putting Jared Brownfleet in there quite early doors because he's got one thing that neither Keane or Tarkovsky got and that's pace and I think it's abundantly clear Everton needs someone with a turn of pace because we saw last year they were okay when Everton was in front of them but when they started to get turns when it would be Cody whether it be Michael Keane Tarkovsky they struggled massively and if, if you haven't got that someone who got that turn of pace to, to, to get it back in and you know we're in, you're in trouble I think that the Cody thing's interesting for me because it felt like after the was it the Villa home game after yeah. Buendia went past him he just I think that was the game where he thought no I, know, I, need, I need to make a change there and the only two times he actually came onto the pitch after that, I think I'm right in saying, are that, that second half you mentioned against City and the last day yeah, of yeah. the season, which were both times, and I think again, I'm right in saying, the only times on the show on Dyson Everton played with a back three. You know, yeah. we, had, we had to start with a back three on the last day because we had no full-backs, yeah. essentially. And we had to do something against Man City, otherwise the goal difference would have got out of control and we would have been you know, slipping down the table further. And I think, again the last day of the season last season is the only time only time as a Premier League manager that Sean Dice has lined up with a back three he's always played a back four be it 4-5-1 or 4-4-2 so I think he's looked at Cody and thought the system that I exclusively play I've decided after that filler game he can't play it but if I play a back three in, you know, in, in extreme circumstances where we've got no full backs so we're getting torn to bits by Haaland and Gundogan that's when I'm going to use him but I don't think he envisages using that system going forward which I think is probably why he opted not not to sign him in my opinion but if you're going to play in a back four I mean it's I know we're sitting here and we haven't kicked out our football yet and we're, we're trying to be positive and we're looking ahead going well if this player can come in and this manager gets hold of him he gets fit he has a good pre-season he can rekindle the, the, the Michael Keane that he had at, at Burnley and he, and he really kicks on I mean that you know Wayne Rooney was playing for Everton that season when when, mm-hmm. when Michael Keane came to Everton, that, that, that player is, is long gone. And I think we, we need to be realistic about what we're left with. And that is a player that has had good games for Everton in the last two or three years, but by and large has, has proven to be a little bit of a liability. And again, I, I don't want to sit here and feel like I'm digging the lad out because he has made big contributions in the last couple of years. He scored that goal against Palace. He scored the goal against Spurs. You know, he set, helped set up that goal against Wolves, didn't he, at the end of last season as well, which, which we got a point from. But as a consistent Premier League player and in consistent partnership with James Tarkovsky, that, I don't think that's a good enough partnership to keep Everton in the league. You know, Branford might get thrown in the deep end and he might flourish. That would be amazing if he did because Everton have isolated a young talent, they developed them well and he can kick on. But I just, I just, I just, I'm just concerned it might be a little bit too early for him. And what we might see then is persistent on Michael Keane for a bit too long like we did last season when he made numerous errors and his confidence just completely went and then in turn we might have to go well Michael Keane's not playing well let's throw this lad in even when he might not be quite ready yet when we should be drip feeding him and giving him little bits of Premier League football here and there I think the problem with that is though is that Jared Brownfield probably wouldn't want drip feeding in because he's looking at it from a perspective of I went to PSV last year I got myself in a team the second half of the season it was a team that done really well you know I flourished we, they won the, the yeah. Dutch League Cup PSV obviously wanted to keep him this summer you know they were quite keen to sign him permanently they obviously don't think they could stump up the money whatever wanted for him so he's probably looking at it from a perspective of well I should be in the thinking now like yeah. not not coming in as, as a well you might get your chance in the League Cup or might get your chance if Michael Keane has a bad he'd be looking at it thinking well if I play well I should be giving me a chance now because I'm coming back to the club as 
you know, someone who's done really well. And, and let's face it, probably one of the only people who flourished last season <laughs> <laughs> at the football club, a, a bit away from, bit away from the away from Everton. But I think it's interesting in terms of the mindset of. of Bramford's well because yeah. we might get to the end of August after the season starts where he's fourth choice centre back and he might look to go back to PSV. You don't know because he might think, well, I can't, I don't want to sit on the bench, I don't want to sit on, I want to play, and he's not going to be guaranteed to play because obviously he's going to pick two centre backs. So it's, it's going to be interesting. I'm going to jump to defence with Michael Keane slightly here, perhaps okay. surprisingly. Um, and obviously, one, I think the fitness thing is important. Mm. I think we saw. Um, yeah, I think obviously Dice wants to make a change, bring him in. I think he wants to make a point when he took Connor Cody out the side after Aston Villa. He's trying to look for ways to shake it up. Obviously, he brought in Abdi Decore, who didn't have any issues with fitness in, in fairness. But yeah, I think it probably took a little bit of time for Michael Keane to to get going. Um, and I think I think something that also needs bearing in mind in in fairness when we're trying to assess what Michael Keane did is just how much of a problem the fullback position was for Everton in the second half of last season. You had Patterson and Coleman out for big stints, Mikalenko struggling. I mean, for a big chunk of those games where Michael Keane would, we perhaps say, struggled the most, he was looking at Holgate and, and Godfrey at fullbacks. Now, we know that Michael Keane isn't comfortable when he's getting turned and he's facing his own goal. And unfortunately for himself, obviously, he has you know a pretty big showreel of, of own goals and those own goals are all the same him putting the ball into the back of Tottenham I can remember Minnesota United in the pre-season yeah, him facing his own ball ball across the back face of the goal 6-8 yards out and he's putting it in I do think one of the things that is have to be fair when we're assessing it is saying well why did he always end up in that position and quite often that was because Evan was so poor defensively out wide if Evan can address those situations I think that gives Michael Keane and I think Evan probably have a little bit because I think that Obviously, we know Coleman can do a job. We know Patterson's growing, but they also have the kind of, you know, the almost the the, the, the bonus of the emergence of James Garner at right back, who mm. defensively looks quite astute as an option there. And then we also have obviously Ashley Young now at left back, who we know can do at the very least do the simple things well in terms of left back. So, I do think that there are perhaps the odd bits and pieces there that might help Michael Keane have a better chance of, uh, of starting the season okay. I'm not saying that he's the, the perfect option, but I think when I look back down to this time last year, or certainly at the end of the transfer window, one of the analogies that Frank Lampard would use when he was talking to, to us in, in, the, in the press was one that he'd stolen off Jose Mourinho and the idea of, of the duvet. You know, you pull a duvet, you know, you, you, you're cold at the top half of the bed, so you pull a duvet up, then your feet are cold, then you put them down, then your head's cold. And it felt very much like last season what, Mike, what Frank Lampard sought to do was he sought to strengthen the core of the side defensively. You know, obviously brought in James Tarkovsky first transfer, looked, looked to bring in Connor Cody, brought Idrissa Gay in, and we know they took a gamble going up front. We know that failed, right? Everything just about stayed up, but they, you know, they, they took a risk that they shouldn't have taken. I can't help but feel that we're in another pre-season now where we've got a Fredbear squad with a lot of issues, not much money to address them. We know the striker issue needs addressing more than anything else. And I think this might be a case of Sean Dyche pulling the duvet up over his head and just leaving the bomb exposed because... You know, you look at the centre-back option, there's probably just about enough there for you to think that Daesh might think that he can get away with it, might. And you also kind of look at the goalkeeper situation, and again, in an ideal world, you know, Jao Virginia might emerge as a really good goalkeeper. Obviously, he's got a lot of experience for somebody that hasn't yet been Everton's number two. But there's still a significant drop-off between Jordan Pickford as first choice 
and, and, and uh, Jao Virginia is second. I think ideally what Evan probably would have looked to have done this summer is kept Dasmir Begovic for another year and then perhaps brought Jao Virginia as the third choice keeper who could then perhaps give him the experience in the cup games or things like that. Or, you know, if they were to never get to a situation where they're pressure-free games, then bring him in through that way. Kind of in the same way you probably almost looked to do with Jared Branthwaite. But I can't help but think that, you know, when, when I look at all the areas that Evan need to address, I, I do think that he might end up you know, with Michael Keane and Tarkovsky at centre back, and I can, and I can see why. I, can, I, I just think we'll be sat here in January going, we did know that was going to be an issue. Uh, yeah, you, well, you, yeah. you know, it, it, I mean, if you, if you look at the the options you've got, you know, we've got Tarkovsky solid. I think everyone's happy with him. Keane, as you know, I, I take your point about fullbacks, but in the same breath, I don't really necessarily see how that's going to be that much different this year. Really, there's going to be you know Coleman, Patterson get injured quite a lot Ashley Young is 38 if years you, old is he going to be able if to you play? don't think that's going to be that different this year yeah then bearing in mind you think that do you still think that centre back is a higher priority than sorting out the full back issue yeah because I think yeah. we need I think we need a, a, a centre back who's more durable and versatile you can you, yeah. can, you can you know I think, I think Michael, Michael Keane's been in his best for Everton when he's had Mina next to him or when he had Kurtzuma next to him under Marco Silva and he had that sort of dominant defender next to him who could sort of organise and he could sort of be the, the secondary player and, you know Tarkovsky I think is I don't, I don't really think he's that type of defender he, he's, he's sort of more of like a there's been a lot of comparisons of him and Phil Jagielka hasn't he? he's been more of like a, a, a lead by doing sort of centre back but I, I just look at the options I think Tarkovsky fine Bramfweet we were saying before it's first training session today under Sean Dice yesterday so you know he's had one session you know the manager might look at him and and you know we don't he might love him he might not he might not like him Ben Godfrey is, is your fourth three centre back left slash left back or right back whatever he plays injury prone um and then you've got Mason Hallgate he looks like he's, he's going to leave the football club I, I, I just think I just think because the cent, the centre forward and the attacking thing has become such a big issue and it is it is the main issue I think we've kind of glossed over a little bit and maybe looking at going Keane Tarkovsky yeah, what, what about the top end of the pitch because in defence we've sort of lost our defensive Dominic Carver-Loon and Yerry Mina haven't we you know the, the player that we the player that we, we should be relying on and we always want to be fit because we know that when that lad is fit that area of the pitch goes up so many different levels and you know we're hoping that Dom has a better season this year we're looking at getting a replacement or an alternative in for him but we're not doing that at centre back you know maybe Branthway could be that but we just we just don't know it, and like that's sort of why the other day when that mad Johnny Evans story <laughs> emerged or somewhere like I looked at it and at first you go oh god, but then the more I thought about it, the more I thought that that would kind of make sense. I think you know someone who's Premier League proven might not play every single week, but could play do 20, 25 games. Then you can bring in Bramford, you can bring in Keane if you need to. Um, so I just look at that and think we're, we're really short in there, and we might go into that into the season and gamble in that position. But I think it's one of those gambles that, like, like we did last summer with the striker, and go, oh, we might be a bit, sh- bit shorter there. But if Carvalho stays fit, we'll be fine. I think as well, though, with with, with Keane, it comes back to the managers, doesn't it? And he clearly backs himself, I think, to get the best out of my Hakeem, mm. and he clearly believes that even get my Hakeem back fit to the levels they probably had him playing at Burnley in terms of fitness, that he can get the best out of him, and he can get. You know, we'll see a different Michael Keane to the one we've seen over recent years. So, I think this is on the manager a little bit as well, because I think he this isn't as much as I think maybe Sean Dyche might look at it and think, well, you know, I haven't got a, a war chest as well, some of the some of my predecessors have had, but he probably looks at it and thinks, well, no, I, I think 
he does a full pre-season with us, gets himself fit. We're going to play him in the friendlies with, with, next to James Tarkovsky. Builds up the relationship that they had at Burnley. And I think we could see a different player. And I think this comes back to that dice belief of, no, no, I think I can get the best out of him and I'm not. You know, why Why do we have to... We don't have to spend money on somewhere where I can think we can improve mm. by just getting them, getting them back playing to the fitness levels that we saw, he saw at Burnley. Obviously, we're speaking now after Arno Danjuma has come through the door. I think we spoke about him a couple of times this summer. Obviously, Connor, you know, you've done a couple of pieces basically preempting this move, saying, or the very least, that everybody was talking. I didn't preempt it. I was a bit worried when AC Milan emerged. That's a possible destination. I might have preempted it a little bit too much. Too no, soon. no. But, but I mean, I think it's fair to say, I can look back at some of our coverage over the last few weeks. Dan Juma was always on the cards. It was a case of, it wasn't, I think we'd move past the yeah. would ever and go back there after what happened in January. And I think even as early as three or four weeks ago, you were effectively right in that, you know, the past is the past and both the, both both parties here can move beyond that. It's just whether or not Everton are, you know, the most tempting offer of that that comes along. Mm-hmm. Obviously he has signed, I think we all agree that he improves that Everton, Everton starting lineup, I think, dramatically. Yeah. It's, a, it's a good deal. I think, you know, Kevin Fowell and, and Dan Burden had deserve a lot of credit for persevering and getting it through. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's it's good to see a degree of pragmatism there because I think perhaps in previous years or under previous regimes, you might never go back to Dan Juma. And as a result mm-hmm. of that, despite Everton needing you know, attacking reinforcements so desperate and having such a limited budget, you might end up missing on what is the best op- opportunity you've got there to do it. Now... We know he improves out and we know he's a versatile support. We play off, you know, off the left, he can play as a support side for someone like Dominic Calvert-Lewin. He could potentially lead the line by himself, arguably. Matt, how far does the Stan Juma signing go to addressing your concerns about Everton's forward lines? Do you think that Everton... Oh, I think we... I don't think anybody needs to talk, ask a question, do, it, do Everton need a striker? We all agree that. that yeah. That's just a waste of time. Do you think Everton need a striker? They've got Dan Juma... If they get another striker in, they're okay. Or are you thinking Dan Juma, striker, and another winger? I think it's I think it's interesting that you said that he improves the start on eleven because me and you were speaking about this before, weren't we? And sort of saying that if everyone's fit on week one of the season, where where does he play? And I, I sort of look at it and think I think the manager initially will have a lot of trust in McNeil and their worry be to play wide. I don't think he's going to play two up front. I don't think he's going to play him alongside Calvert Lewin. Um, and he certainly don't think he's going to drop Carver-Lewin if he's fit for the, the opening week of the season. Of course, you know, a lot of caveats here. This is Everton. We are going to have players injured. <laughs> that's, just, that's, just, that's just how it goes. But I think I, I look at him and sort of think that with a lot of speculation about Damari Gray going, I sort of feel like he's going to be that, that wild card option. I, I, I don't think he's necessarily going to start every single week. But I feel like coming off the bench, you could have a big impact. I feel like if you've got a few games in you know, a short space of time, you could play him off one of the flanks. You're playing against a team at home, like a newly promoted side, where you need to go a bit more on the front foot from the start. Maybe you might see a 4-4-2 then. You could sort of play him off, off Carvert-Lewin. Um, being honest, and I've seen bits of him, um, I, I sort of see him as more of a, a second striker than, than a winger. I don't, I don't think... Work rate is necessarily. I don't think he's, you know, not saying he's saying he's a lazy player or anything, but I don't think work rate and pressing is necessarily one of his strong points. Um, I think you saw the best of him in Spain when Unai Emery was there, and he played in an attacking. Um, so he played as one of the as one of two centre forwards off. I think Gerard Moreno when he was at Villarreal, and um, that that kind of is could be a similar sort of parents what he could offer with Dominic Carvalho Lewin, um, but I think he's got quality, hasn't he? He's got pace, he's got trickery. Um, and he, he can score goals from 
from range. He can get into the box on the end of things. So I think he's I think he's definitely a good option. I think he's an improvement on Damari Gray if Gray wants to go out. But it's going to be interesting to see where he fits into the team. Yeah, I, I kind of agree in, in a sense. I wonder if the long-term hope might be to have him as a you know, supporting Dominic Calvert-Lewin because yeah. you could see that working really well. Mm. And what it also allows for, for Sean Dyche to do is obviously have Alex Awobi right midfield and Dwight McNeil left midfield, very much midfield rather than wingers. And then they can do all the defensive duties yeah. that we know that Sean Dyche, from the back end of, certainly the back end of last season, demanded of, of those wide players. Connor, you were with me at Wigan on Saturday. And one of the things that we did see was we saw Dwight McNeil move on to the right of the 4-5-1, that Deitch has consistently played during his time at Everton. I was wondering whether or not that might be, although Deitch obviously wasn't there, whether, whether over pre-season we might see a little bit more Dwight McNeil on the right, just to wonder whether or not Sean Deitch can accommodate there for Dan Juma starting on the left of that mm. front three or the wide things. Do you think that's a possibility? I think I think it's a possibility. I don't think there's, I don't think there's many things that won't be you trial pre-season or certainly talks about pre-season because I think given Everton, I think touching this to me, they're going to have a small squad. Yeah, it's not going to be a massive squad. No, not going to be loads of options. So you're going to need players who can play in, you know, various positions, aren't you? Essentially, you know, and, and be able to play and adapt to different formations and scenarios. So I think we could see a lot of. Traveling error should we say pre-season? Um, but Matt, I think Dan Juma will probably play second. I think possibly off behind Calvert Lewin, um, and I think it was quite interesting as well because this goes with obviously after that Corey spoke to him, he was it last week and he said that he sees himself going back to like the number eight role now, having having performed in the emergency role. I think he, yeah. he said as the, as the the number ten off the off the forward, you know maybe sees himself going back a little bit. So maybe maybe Sean I just spoke to him and him and said. You know, you've done a great job last season, but I want you playing a little bit further deeper. We're going to, someone else is going to play in behind. So I think we're going to see a bit of everything. And I think going back to Dan Juma, I think the, the two things why it was so important to him going is he's got pace and he can score goals. And ultimately, they're two things that I haven't been crying out for him and were desperate for last season. So, you know, I, I think you're right, though, Joe. You know, fair play to Kevin Fellwell for maybe not so much swallowing your pride, but, you know, basically saying, like, well, let's bygones be bygones. You know, you kind of did, you know, go and do what you've done in January. But, you know, the position we're in right now, we can't be turning our nose up for anyone. And, you know, I think, and let's face it, you know, when Andrew, you know, when, when it said that kind of the club was in, you know, chaos in January, I think that's over un- understating things, isn't <laughs> it? You know, when, when he looked like he was going to sign, it was chaos. So, you know, it's understandable why he did what he did. But I think, it, you know, it's a good option to have. And the fact that, again, he's another player who can play in various positions only, only adds to Sean Dyche's squad. Just picking up something that Connor there said, um, Matt, bit of a, a curveball. Does Decorey start for you in a 4 4 2? Oh. Or a two man centre midfield? Yeah, I think. Does he. I think, you, I think your two there would maybe be in week one. Adrissa Gay and Decorey, if you could pick the mm. two. Um, I don't know, but you know, this is good. You know, all, all, all of this, all, all, this, all of this is good. You know, towards the back end of last season, it was like, how many keepers are going to, we going to have on the bench this week? Um, you you know. say that, obviously, at Wigan the other day, there was, he only named six substitutes and two of them were keepers. Exactly, and you know, this, this, is, this is what you want, you know. And going back to that, that you know, I mentioned the Leicester game before where Keane struggled against Fardy and, that was the game where Everton didn't make a substitution, wasn't it? And there was, there was yeah. like, if you if you were to transport now back to that Leicester two-two game, and you had Dan, I mean, I know we had Damari Gray on exactly, the bench then. Yeah. If Dan Juman was there, I know Dyche 
makes a big play if not wanting to change things if he thinks they're working all right not really convinced by that I haven't seen I haven't, I haven't seen the, the way the last 15 minutes at last the last 15 minutes the way that Forrest played out I can't help but feel that's a little bit protecting yeah you know, the the lack of faith that he has in the squad without necessarily saying that yeah. Dan Juma comes on that Dan Juma probably comes on and wins the game for Evan in that last 15 minutes and then we're not worrying at Bournemouth are we but, yeah I mean Dice inherited Damari Gray and I think as much as he played him at times it was more you got the sense it was more else necessity than any kind of real belief or, or, or trust in him. Then you know, whenever Everton had a chance, whenever a full complement of attacking players, which you know, again wasn't wasn't many, but whenever he had options, his preferred options to fill those, you know, the, uh, the striker was Calvert Lewin, the midfielder pushing on was Decore, wingers were McNeil and Awobi. That was that was his preferred four, wasn't it? In attack, whenever he had those lads available, he didn't leave anyone on the bench for. For Damari Gray, you know, and you just got the sense he didn't really have full faith in him. Whereas with this signing, you get, you, know, you would imagine that he would have rubber stamped as he said, you know, I, I, I like this lad. You know, I know you wanted him before I even rocked up in January, but he looks a good player. I'm happy to use him. So in that situation, he might have a bit more belief and a bit more trust bringing him on late on in a, a game, which which is dead important. One thing we we can't seem to get away from in every discussion that, that we're having here is, is obviously the need for a fit designated senior striker mm. you know Dominic Calvert-Lewin obviously he's not playing just yet you know he's training with the first year at Finch Farm and that but you know they're certainly very they're, they're taking their time with him again um, and I think we probably have to be prepared that it might be touch and go for the start of the season but obviously the way in which Everton are going to try and play whichever way we, we they end up having the options that we've, we've done Really, they need someone in his mould and his profile if it's not going to be him up, up, up top there, don't they? Obviously, we know El Bilal Torre's been linked. I think it's been the case for pretty much a month now. Evan have been watching him. Almeria more than happy to sell him. You look at what their general director said over, over the summer. They very much follow the model of, you know, we'll sell our players to fund the wider rebuild whenever they can, as long as they can get good value. But I think that's always been their... It's always been their approach this summer. Try and get as much money as possible. Try and get as close to the 40 million euro release close as they can for Bill Altori. I think with Everton, it's you know, how much can they really afford? And I think the problem Everton have got is obviously we know Atalanta have got a bit of money. We know that they're probably that to come into a lot more money. We know they could offer European football. It makes it very, very difficult, doesn't it? If it's not going to be El Bill Altori, you know, we're speaking Tuesday afternoon. It still could be, but probably looking like he's heading more towards Italy. How quickly do Everton need to identify another striker, Connor? And how quickly do they need to move to get him into the door? Because it feels like whatever Sean Dyche has plans, he can't escape not having he can't not have a proper striker up top and he needs one as soon as he needs to make sure there's one in place at the beginning of the season, doesn't he? Surely. They should already have someone lined yeah. someone in the thinking. They should have more than one. And we talked about this actually before yeah. in the office. Yeah. They should have more than one uh one for there's got to be more than Torre in, mm-hmm. in the thinking. Okay, he's the one who the pursuing at the moment because they need fancy him over others, but they've got to have other options. Uh, they can't. This can't be another. I know Kevin Fellwell and Sean Dyche were at the club when this happened, but this can't be another Olivia Giroud moment of what we had when <laughs> Ronald Koeman was in charge, when they spent weeks trying to persuade him. Eventually got there, and then at the eleventh hour, he says, "What was he? he?" Spoke to his wife, and she didn't want to lose some Mersey sides, and the deal was off. And then Everton basically says, "Oh, well, we've got we we basically have anyone else lined up to go for, and we've wasted." four to six weeks trying to get this lad over the line they can't afford that again they need to have someone lined up now to go for and they need to get him as soon as possible you know because time is at the essence I mean you know they, they play again on Saturday at Stoke 
then it's one more friendly then the season starts you know it's not it's not like well then it, then it's Victor Gocker is coming to well, uh, to yeah, well we should we should yeah. I don't know I don't know how but we should have been in we should have been in the mix for him he's, he's one who a little bit has got away I, I think but yeah they've got to have someone else lined up they can't they can't let this rumble on and they can't go into the season still rumbling on trying to you know get a forward they must the thing I just think is they've had so long I mean Frank Lampard was speaking in last September October about the January transfer window saying you know basically we're going to need to bring another centre forward in we know we need we need help in, in that area and yet here we are you know nearly a year on and the same conversations are being said and everyone's saying the same thing so they need to get someone in as fast as they can they need to identify people who they can go for um, as f- and they need to give them someone as fast as they can because they need to hit the ground running they need to get fit and they need to be available on the open date the season full because and like we've said we've said it a few times on this podcast haven't we those first sort of six or seven games are quite favourable for Everton. In when you look at them, and when you look at the they, they, uncertainty at Fulham around Mitrovic, and I know obviously Mitrovic wasn't there yeah. when, when Fulham absolutely dismantled. Neither was Silver. Neither was Silver. Neither was Silver. But those all the those fixtures up to that October international break, those eight games, they represent an opportunity, don't they, Matt? They represent oh, yeah. for a side for a side well, that struggled for two. Picked, are they? If you just had, no, you pick fixtures. You pick, I yeah. pick fixtures. The side that struggled for two consecutive years you know, has a Fred Bear squad and, and not a huge amount of money in the transfer window. That's a hell of a good opportunity to get off to a good start, isn't it? And, and, it, and it feels like they have to have the key parts of the jigsaw in place and maybe they can they can furnish around the wings and full-backs yeah. and maybe centre-back three, four games into the season, you know, as the transfer window goes on. But they, they can't afford not to do that up front, can they? No, and that's, again, this is what happened last year, wasn't it? We all looked at those opening games and thought, great chance to get off to a good start and... And Everton didn't have a, a centre forward playing for the vast majority of them, did they? First four, they did. First, they, yeah. Andy Gordon was up front, wasn't it, for yeah. the first four games? And then they, they signed Neil Mope and then they, they, they couldn't register him in time for, the for, for the Leeds game. So, it, you know, we, we speak so much about Everton, doesn't it? About learning lessons, and, and you're right about, you know, I, I totally agree. They should have had someone lined up already. But I think that the one, the one issue they've got is that we say a lot about they need to get someone who can replace Dominic Carver-Lewin and do a similar job to what he does but I think I think Dom's quite a unique centre forward in all the things he can offer when he's at, when he's at his best it's like Traore so it was such yeah, a, a tantalising prospect wasn't he because he actually yeah, mirrors a lot of what he can do I don't, I don't, I've not seen loads of him I don't know what he can offer but if you, if you look at Carver-Lewin and you know in recent games my mind goes back to the first half against Brighton where it was knock, lo- knock long to him and he could get hold of it he could knock into the channels and he'd run after it. He was playing into his feet and he could do little back heels and bring us into... Set the first goal, didn't he? Yeah, yeah ex- ex- exactly. And, and there's not many centre-forwards you can say a good with the back to goal, can run in behind, are, are quite tidy with the feet, you know, really strong in the air as well, just, if you just want to launch it forward. You know, he's, he's, he's a very multifaceted forward. Of course, you could do being a bit more ruthless in front of goal, but if you want someone to just play off and get you off the get you up the pitch and give you a bit of room to breathe when you're under pressure which Everton are going to be in most games in the Premier League we're being brutally honest go and get go and get me someone like that Kevin Farwell there's not there's not a load yeah, of players yeah, especially when, when, when money's tight as well isn't yeah, it and exactly. you, haven't got, you haven't got like a, a, a blank check to go and yeah. to go and bring any sense of yeah. all you want in yeah I think it's also probably important yeah, we all recognise that Dominic Cavalier is more than capable of still doing a job we just mm. yeah, I think the last two years have shown it's unfair on him as much as anything else just yeah. to rely solely on him you know if if that type of striker is 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 so instrumental to any way in which Sean Dyche is going to play they need to have more than one option for that role don't they so 
you know, Connor, I'm going to come to you just to finish off. You know, we've got heading to Bolton tonight, yourself and me. Uh, obviously, we're going to Stoke again, uh, Stoke on, on, on Saturday. Um, nice little tour around the Nice end, little tour around I was going to say, you two have dropped, you know, you've been to Wigan and Bolton and, and Chris yeah. Beasley was off to Evian. Off, off, off to Evian last Evian, week. Evian, and he's not that's even it. here this week, is but he? But rather than talk ahead to those kids, just going to look brief, just very, very briefly back to one element of, of the Wigan game. Ashley Young obviously played. We were you surprised to see him play such an advanced role? Obviously played off the wing, and what did you just make of his the first outing that he was had in an Everton shirt? I wasn't surprised to see him play in that role because he's played before, hasn't he? And I think one thing about Ash Young and the seventh team is he's going to play in a lot of positions <laughs> because the fact he can play in a lot of positions and the fact he don't have a massive squad means he's probably going to play in a lot of positions. Um, I thought he was the best player on the pitch by an absolute country mile. I, I think you said it half times didn't you to me he's been the best player so far and without hesitation I said Ashley Young and, and you've said you know he's been superb and I, mean, I shouldn't really be doing this but I think after, after 25 minutes my, my match verdict was already centred on I was almost a bit disappointed when he scored the goal because yeah. then it became so obvious and yeah, I thought yeah. I was trying to be clever but you know within 25 minutes he'd won a couple of clever free kicks with his back to goal in his own half you know he, he'd beat he'd beat the um, the Wigan right back down down the outside flank and whipped one in yeah. he cut inside him and whipped one in you know, he, he, he scored, which obviously haven't been able to, to do much in, in recent years, but no, I thought he was absolutely superb. And I think, obviously, it's early days and it's one, it's one performance, isn't it? We can't get carried away, but I think it was a performance for some of the doubters out there who perhaps had raised eyebrows and, and concern over San Ashley Young. I think it was a performance which illustrated why Sean Dyche is San Ashley Young and, and why, you know, they probably, people at the club see it as a big coup that they've got him in because. Uh, yeah, he was, he was absolutely superb and the fact he can play multiple positions is, is the biggest help and I know he spoke to him afterwards and he seemed a nice level, level-headed guy, doesn't he, experienced? Doesn't yeah, he I had the chance away. to speak to him after the game and I think probably the, my big takeaway from that was felt that he genuinely wanted to be at Everton and I mean, it's easy to kind of like attach too much importance. Obviously, he is 38, he's at the back end of his career. Probably wouldn't have been too many offers for him, certainly as high a level as, as Everton this summer, but... You know, I think he, he has a genuine respect and appreciation for Sean Dyche, both as a football manager and as a person. I think he buys into that way of things. And I think, you know, he was very complimentary of, of, of the Everton fans and everything that he'd seen and experienced. Obviously, he's had times where he's come to Goodison Park and had exceptional performances. And you know, think back to under Martin O'Neill and that. But, you know, it's clear he's that... not forgiving him for that one. Uh, you know, broke my heart that night. He's going to have to score a few for us for forgiving for that, I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> broke my heart that night as a young uh, teenager. Uh, absolutely. But I think he wants to be there and he appreciates the chance he's been given at this yeah. late stage of his career to play for a club that is as big as ever and is so historic and famed as it is right that's all for the Royal Blue podcast for this edition we'll be back later in the week we'll be able to be talking about the trip to Bolton look ahead to the trip to Stoke and hopefully have a bit more progress on the striker situation and maybe if these two are lucky the centre back one as well <laughs> thanks so much for joining us cheers you've been listening to the Royal Blue podcast from the Liverpool Echo 